I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 134. Taking the show with the new year just days away, we're looking back at what we learned in 2016 and looking forward to what we hope to accomplish and experience in the Whitetail Woods in 2017. Alright guys, welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today on the show, as I imagine many of you might be doing at this time of year, we are looking back at 2016 and looking forward to 2017. Today, Dan and I are going to be discussing some of the highs and lows of this past year along with some of our greatest lessons learned. And then we're also going to do some thinking about the year to come. You know, what we hope we can change, what we can achieve, what we hope to experience, and all that kind of stuff. So that, quite simply, Dan, is the plan. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me, buddy. Well, good. How, how you I'm, been uh, doing? I'm good. I'm way better now. Why's that? Uh, my, my Christmas was spent in a bed or hovering over a toilet or on a couch. My entire family was sick over Christmas. I heard about that. That's a bummer. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so you recovered, I, though. Right. I feel great. I feel good now. Maybe just a little tired. One more night of sleep is going to get me back to normal. But, man, I haven't puked that hard since, like, college. And this was like a flu. It wasn't, like, too much eggnog, right? No. It's, this was straight up flu. Ugh. It was, oh, man. Like, it felt like I did a 1,000 sit-ups, which – now that I say that, it doesn't sound like a lot of sit-ups, but I my could, my <laughs> could you do a thousand sit-ups straight without stopping? Right now, yeah. Oh, probably not. Yeah. Not right now. I don't know if I could either. <laughs> but thousands a lot of sit-ups. I know, but in my prime, you know, in my prime, <laughs> I could probably do a thousand. <laughs> I could throw a football over them. They're mountains. Speaking of Dan and his prime, <laughs> uh, do you know? Do you ever watch any of those old Christmas movies? You know, like the kind of oh, like old geez. puppet types. Yes. Yeah. Well, do you remember yeah. there's one of them 
I can't Yukon remember the Cornelius. name. Yukon Cornelius. Yukon Cornelius. For anybody who <laughs> yes. knows what this guy looks like, it everybody is you, knows. Dan. Everybody knows what he looks like. And this is probably the 15th person this year who's brought that up to me. <laughs> I'm cool with it. I'm embracing the red beard. Oh, it is so – it is you in a puppet or whatever it is. If you were plunked down to a TV – that is you. Kylie, my wife, actually told me like last year she noticed it. She's like, oh, my gosh, that is Dan. And then someone mentioned on Twitter, and I just cracked up. <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely look like that right now. I look rough. Like I haven't, I haven't cut my beard in a long time. It's to the point now where it's not growing – it's not kind of growing out. It's laying down on itself. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's really hardy right now. And uh, I haven't cut my hair in a while, so you know you got the – the little ear hangover where the hair kind of hangs over the ear just a little bit. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, and, uh, my wife looks at me and instead of like saying, Oh, you know, like, good night. I love you. She said, Ugh. so I know, <laughs> I know now that it's time to maybe trim it up a bit and, uh, and, uh, get a haircut. Well, Hey, you did say you didn't want any more than two kids, right? That's right. That's a that's a good idea. <laughs> so keep the beard and hair. <laughs> Look and act disgusting, and then that will get rid of one part of my life, which will lead to no more kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, I don't have those kinds of beard issues, Dan. <laughs> but hey, hey, Mark, Mark Canyon, aka Rookie of the Year. What, how is your, <laughs> how is your goatee game doing these days? The goatee game is rough. It's, it's rough? not real good. I actually, good. no, I mean, you know, I can't really grow it, but not only, not only is it bad, you know, because I know it's not that great, but now my wife is just fully against it for a long time. She, you know, she, uh, what's the word? She tolerated it. Okay. But now she actively is trying to dissuade me of having any facial hair. Okay. And so I shaved it all off, I don't know, a week ago or something, or a week and a half ago, and I just hate my face without it. Like it looks Looking like a little baby? Yeah, it look I feel yeah. so weird without it because I've, you know, it's not anything to brag about, but I've had something on my face for a long time now, and when I'm completely clean cut, I just feel like I look like a different person. Like my lips look weird. I I don't know. Yeah. I was I literally looked in the mirror, I was like, "Ugh." Yeah. So Check this out. So I from a from a fullness standpoint, I, I rocked a beard for a while and uh, I needed to have it long so it would cover up some of the, the patches that weren't, you know, grown in all the way. Yeah. So over the past two years, I've been able to grow a man beard, like a really decent beard. Now, this year, I'm starting to see white hairs start coming into it. So I'm starting to get that middle-aged old man beard now. Yeah, yeah. Even even in my little rookie of the year goatee, I've got some little white hairs coming in. I know. Well, that's peach fuzz. Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> difference possibly. <laughs> but hey, I killed the deer last night. Heck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was good. And you stayed up. You did the. You did the. You did the shoot drag process. Go to bed. <laughs> yes, I did. But uh, before we get into that whole story, I think this is probably a good place for us to take a quick break to thank our partners at Sitka Gear. And we've got a Sitka story today from a Wired to Hunt listener and a fellow Sitka Whitetail ambassador, Brennan Nading. And Brennan has just recently had the week of all weeks. 
last week Monday, he killed a buck he called Turkeyfoot, who he had been watching and hunting for two years. And then, on his next hunt just two days later, he killed the other mature buck he'd been after for two years that he called Ronnie. So, in three days, you killed your top two bucks on this property that you've been following for at least two years each. How do you describe this three days of incredible hunting or this this season i mean how do how do you process that it it took me a while um best thing that could have happened happened that night um shortly after i i killed ronnie um i sent out a few text messages to, to buddies and whatnot and uh right after that my phone my phone crapped out on me so i had no contact to anybody for about 15 hours which i thought was a good thing and uh it was unreal. It and we spent the entire fall chasing these two deer, and uh, to kill them two days apart in back-to-back sits, essentially, just just unreal. I mean, really opened my eyes up to you just can't ever you can't ever count yourself out until the season's over. Um, for it to come together was just an unreal feeling to me, and uh, it still hasn't totally sunk in went home for the holidays enjoyed time with my family and uh got back down home here the other day and and really just started thinking about the entire season again and uh how fortunate it was to to end up the way it did a happy ending to an incredible hunting season and i hope that's something that a lot of you can relate to at this time of year that said this was a sick story and you can learn more about the gear like what brennan was wearing during these hunts by visiting sitkagear.com Moving on, we also need to thank our partners at Yeti. And that sound you're hearing, that's my Yeti Rambler filling up with coffee, and it's one of the best sounds I hear every day. You know, before I started using Yeti's Rambler travel mugs and bottles, I thought they were maybe a little overkill. Didn't know I needed, you know, this great big stainless steel mug, but I've quickly converted, and that coffee you just heard, you know, if I were to forget about that and come back five hours later, it would still be hot. And my dad, who got one of the Yeti 20-ounce tumblers, he told me over Christmas that he filled his up with ice and water at the end of one day at work, but left it on his desk overnight. And when he got back into the office the next morning, there was still ice in there. So long story short, I've really become a fan. And if you like your coffee hot and your water icy, I'd recommend heading over to Yeti.com to learn more. And now, let's get back to the show and the story of my doe kill. Oh man, it's a long night. It's a long night. We've got warm temperatures and like wildly fluctuating temperatures, so I didn't want to leave it hang. I figured just we're going to get it taken care of. So, yeah, you know, I, oh gosh, I think it was Tuesday night I decided to start my kind of doe hunting week. And that first night, nothing came within range. And I've been going out with my bow. But last night, I went up to the, um, the same tree stand that I had had a bunch of encounters with Holyfield, actually the spot where I'd drawn back on Holyfield, um, and I hadn't hunted that stand in almost two months, since like November 5th or something, I hadn't hunted it. Right. And um, saw tons of deer, but it was kind of a debacle of a night. Like, I've seen lots and lots of does, but at first, they were moving really early, but they were all moving away from the food plot. Like, they were bedded close, but moving away. And I was like, well, that's not a good sign. Did I, you know, spook them or something? They weren't spooked, but they were just kind of slowly walking away. And then I saw, I could see in my back food plot, I could see a bunch of deer feeding in there. I was like, well, I picked the wrong place tonight. And then finally, a group of does came into the plot, but 
one of them. Now I'm having a hard time remembering. I think I drew back on her, but I can't remember exactly. And the reason I'm having a hard time to remember if I drew back or not is because I drew back a lot last night. (laughs) (laughs) I... The first group of does came in. I think I came to full draw, but just as I was doing that, she spotted me and she bolted before I could get a shot. Yeah. So that was a bad situation. So they clear the field. Then fast forward like 30 minutes or something, another group of does comes in and I watch them for a long time. And finally, the one mature doe slowly works away to 30 yards, comes from out behind these branches. I draw back. I'm like, all right, easy peasy, beautiful shot. And as I'm drawn back, and I, and I can't really remember what happened here either, but one way or the other, I shot and she just dropped, she jumped the string. I could literally, I saw it as it was happening. I was like, oh, that's a complete mess. Just went straight over her back, right where it was. And yeah. um, she went running off unscathed. So I'm like, all right, that's a great start. So you missed? Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. I mean, she she dropped a foot, it looked like. I mean... I've, I've, I've been there, man. Yeah, and it was it was one of those things, like, you know, I've had times where I've missed a deer that I knew I missed it because I'd rushed the shot or I pulled right. the shot or something. This was one of those, like, I was shooting a target. I was It was just super easy, perfect 30-yard shot, broadside, and it just didn't happen because the target moved. Um, yeah. So she, they go running off. Um, so now I'm bummed out again um well i look back on the back food plot and there's holyfield so i got to see holyfield for a little bit feeding a couple hundred yards away which is cool and now i see more does coming my way and long story short finally a few of them come into the plot one of them looks like a shooter she comes walking in she gets broadside again around like 27 yards or something like that i draw back and just as i draw back she turns and faces me directly on. She's feeding, but she's directly facing me. So now yeah. I'm stuck at full draw. She doesn't move for what seems like 30 seconds, 45 seconds. So I'm at full draw, shaking, shaking, shaking. Finally, I'm like, all right, I just need to draw down. And there was another younger deer, like, closer to me. So I was worried they are going to hear me. But finally, I draw down. They don't know what's going on. I'm watching them, and finally, she turns. She moves. She walks out. And as she's walking across my one opening, I'm getting ready to draw. She sees me, and this this tree that I'm in is really not a good lace. It's it's okay. Like I got away with more than I thought I would last night because it's yeah. it's a great spot early in the year when there's leaves on this tree. It's an oak tree, lots of leaf cover, lots of branches all around me. It's pretty darn good. Um, but right now there's no leaves at all, and it's out in the middle of a field. It's a lone tree in the middle of this plot. So because of that, there's not a whole. There is a decent amount of cover, but still. They could they could see you if they were coming from the right angle. If there was the right perspective for them, my silhouette would be up there. And so she walked right to that one spot where you know she might see something. And she kind of like looked up, and it was like, huh? And I'm like, son of a gun, is this gonna happen twice in a row now today? Right. But she didn't. She's just like, eh, I don't know what that is, but I'm okay. And then she walked another five yards, stopped, and this one put the pin on her just like I did the first one and this doe did not jump the string and I double longed her she ran 50 yards and dropped and that was it right in the food plot so nice so that was the night and um we got her I got her gutted and hung her up and skinned and took her apart and then my wife and I worked uh, throughout the evening butchering her and started to package a little bit of it and uh it was just a long long night but it felt good to have uh good to be able to do that and, and put some more meat in the freezer so nice. i'm a happy hunter so you, you processed it all yourself we did yes nice cool 
Yeah, man. Uh, I know how you feel. I, I came to full draw once on a doe and as I was drawing back my, um, I don't know if you ever, you, you may cut a branch, but you don't cut it all the way yeah. and it just kind of hangs on the side of the tree. Well, I drew back, my elbow hit the branch that I, I did like this really half-ass cut on. It fell out of the tree and oh, no. like went down and the, the doe was at full alert looking right at me and she was probably only 25 yards and I watched her basically her chest hit the ground to avoid the arrow. I mean, that's how, that's how, so I've, I've been there when you, when you, when they jump the string like that. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. I've I've gone back and watched video of some of these shots of deer that I've seen that have, you know, jumped the string on me and you can, I mean, it's crazy how fast they can drop that much. I mean, 12 inches easy in like a split second. Yep. So it's hard to hard to accommodate for you know I try, I try when I'm thinking about it if I think that deer is on alert I try to aim maybe at the bottom third of the kills of the kill zone but sometimes that's not even good enough so nonetheless clean miss on the first one which I was happy it wasn't you know a, a bad shot um, and then uh, a quick kill on the on the final one so I've got two more doe tags now and I'm gonna try to get out here a couple more nights before the end of the year and uh, put another one in the freezer maybe and uh, my sister-in-law would like some venison so i'm going to give some to her and uh should be a should be a good way to wrap it up that's right so now i want to talk about 2016 here today dan about some of our lessons learned some of our you know what we're happy with what we weren't um but at the end of our conversation last week you told me that you had not hunted once since November 3rd, and I was going to give you a hard time about that, and I just want to yep. make sure I did that right now. So now I'm giving you a hard time about that. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. WTF. I, do, I know. I know. I have – Excuses? I have, no, well, I, I do have excuses. My <laughs> kids were vomiting all over the place, and I was vomiting, and, you know, holiday season, blah, blah, blah. But I got approval tomorrow night, which is Friday – or whatever. I don't know when you're going to launch this, but Friday, the 30th, I think it is. I am going out and I'm going hunting. Good. I'm going to be in a tree stand close to a, close to a food plot. It's going to be warm. Uh, don't know what kind of movement I'm going to see, but I'm going to set up on the first well-used trail and just wait for a doe to come by and, you know, try to, you know, I don't know, shoot her. Get some meat. Yeah. Do you remember? And, uh, do you remember what to do in that situation? I don't even know. It's been a long time. <laughs> it's been two I, months. I know. It's like I'm gonna have to teach myself how to set up my tree stands again and how to set up. But no, man, I'm really looking forward to getting out there. And in there, this this food source is kind of the only food source re- really in the area. You got to go a ways down to get to an actual big ag field. So um, I'm pretty. Uh, I know I'm gonna see deer. I don't know what kind of bucks I'm going to see. However, uh, I'm not really after any any particular buck. I, I checked trail cameras uh, last weekend with my buddy and uh, on my buddy's piece, and there wasn't there was one maybe mature buck. He could he could be a four year old. He was kind of far away. Uh, got one or two pictures of him, but nothing promising. So I'll go on doe patrol and uh, see if I can't get a little more freezer meat myself. Now, are you is is it still muzzleloader season for you guys out there? Yes. Okay. Yep. So I can I can I can get another buck tag, and uh, I can get another buck tag if I want to, 
um, or shoot another buck if I want to, uh, because I can get that late season muzzleloader tag, but I can use a bow for it. So that's, that's what I'll be doing. You know, if the big, if a big boy or a mature buck does step by, I'll, I'll definitely shoot him, but, uh, or take a shot at him, but I'm not holding my breath. Gotcha. Now, now yeah. What were you going to say? Now, late next week, there is a big cold front coming through Iowa. So these higher than normal temperatures are going to drop down to below normal temperatures. So we're going to be in the teens for next weekend and uh, the weekend of like the fifth and sixth or whatever. Nice. And I, I am going to go to a spot where I might, where I feel that the, this buck I call, uh, Tupac lives and I, I hit him in 2013, never recovered him 14, 15, 16, you know, know this how year. this deer is still around. Yeah. I think he was a four year old. So five year old, six year old, seven year old. He he's probably a seven year old this year. That's incredible. And, uh, um, but he's a stud man. I mean, he's just a typical 10 pointer. Maybe last year I think he was bigger than he was this year, but he'll be like in the one sixties, I think. So, so he's, what's, uh, what's, what's the setup? Why do you think he's going to be in this area and, and what's it look like? So it's, you know, it's one of those things you, every once in a while you have an aha mo- moment about what these deer are doing. Um, maybe as far as a pattern is concerned. And I was always focused on the, this particular area where I get summer, summer, I don't know, summer trail cameras, uh, trail camera pictures of him as his summer range. Right. So then there would be a period of time where he would, he would disappear. So I'd pull my trail cameras and then the crops would come out and then, you know, then it's basically a wide open, uh, cornfield with a couple buffer strips and then just like fingers of timber, no real big timber that you would think. Well, this year I'm like, I'm going to see what kind of deer work in this field. And Tupac was working this field, the entire rut. Really? So he's living in this area all year round, or I shouldn't say all year, but he's there summer. And he was there when I, when I put my trail cameras back up the first part of November in this area. And then I killed my deer. So then I, I left and I let that set for like three weeks, four weeks. And so this entire area, he, I got him on two of the three trail cameras on this field. And I think I know now where he's, where he's kind of betting and living. So I'm going to try to set up on as close as humanly possible to, to that without jumping deer out of there. And, uh, cause I think what happens is during shotgun season, a lot of these, a lot of deer pile into the, these fingers just because nobody really thinks to hunt them because they're, I don't know, yep. they're just, they're, they just typically don't hold deer. Like the farmer dumps old refrigerators and deep freezes in one of these draws. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just not, it's not what people would think, but I put the trail cameras up and sure enough, I had like three shooters come through there. So I'm going to, I'm going to pay a little bit more attention to that this late season for maybe one or two hunts. And then that's all I'm going to get. But, but then definitely next year. Well, that's exciting. Yeah, for sure. Piece of the puzzle, you know? Heck yeah. Like I, uh, I'm kind of pumped for you right now. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't have any information because I've taken my trail cameras down since then, but he, there's a, you know, there's always a chance that 
there's something in these in these fingers you know it's it's an, a picked egg field it is a cattle pasture and then they're on these low spots where they're, the fence runs through to, d- to divide the two properties is are trees and that's where these deer have been bedding i found sheds there over the years nothing giant but um it's just i'm gonna get as high as i can in a good observation point and see what's up so uh, that was i was just gonna ask are you gonna try to push right into the good stuff or are you gonna observe that first night and then try to see something and, and attack because that sounds like that's the plan right i'm gonna be i'm gonna be aggressive but i think what i'm gonna do is i'm gonna walk the fence I'm going to walk this fence line up to where I find a, a decent crossing coming out of this real thicket to this small little thicket to the, the ag fields where they could potentially be bedding. And I'm going to get as high as I can and not necessarily try to conceal myself, but just get as high so I can see um, as much land as possible, but put myself in a position where if something does come through, I'll be able to take a shot at it you know, some, some well-used path. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then if I see something, I have one day to make an adjustment and then it's, it's going to be, you know, go big or go home. Yeah. Well, Hey, it's fun that there's at least a shot of something happening. Right. And I also have two deer tags down there, two doe tags yet to fill. So, um, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be picky as far as I'm not going to be holding out for a mature buck. Cause I'm going to, I want to fill my doe tags too. Well, cool, man. Well, I'm excited to hear how that goes. Hopefully, uh, either you shoot something or you learn something, and like you said, apply it to next year. And uh, right, shoot, man, for sure. next year is going to be here in just a couple days. Can you believe that? Uh, I know. I'm already thinking, I, I, and I know you are too, man. I know a lot of guys are. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I, I guess with that said, should we should we first look back on this year that's just wrapping up for both yeah. of us? I know you've got a little bit more season left than I do, but – in short, you know, in general, most of the, most of our seasons are either done or are getting done. Um, so I don't know about you, but I've definitely been doing some thinking. One word. How would you describe your 2016 season? One word, or one sentence, or one sentence. I don't know. Mm, can I, while I think about that, I want to. I'm gonna pass it right back to you. Okay, one term or word or sentence to describe your season. Um, I was, ho- <laughs> I was hoping I'd have more time to think about this because <laughs> I, cause I hadn't I got thought it. about it either. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Mine, mine will be satisfying. Satisfying. Right. I like it. You know, for me, I killed a buck this year and I was very happy to do it, but I was, but I wasn't like blown away as hey, this is one of the greatest seasons I've ever had. It, you know, I didn't hunt as much because I I tagged out, so I felt I'm going to save my vacation and I'm going to go home. Um, just I was satisfied. I was happy with the results. It wasn't like the greatest season I've ever had. It wasn't the worst season I've ever had. It was right in the middle. I'm I'm so happy to have hunted it, but uh, I'm really looking, you know, I'm really looking forward to the you know the, the shed season and and uh, 2017. Nice, nice. Okay, I got mine. Now it's yours. Okay, good. Eye opening, eye opening, and that's okay. hy- that's hyphenated. So one word. <laughs> that's the writer in me that has to has to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I say that because I think that there were a lot of things for me this season that were like maybe enlightening is the better word. Um, okay. But one of the two, 
um, that kind of like just brought to light something new. Like I feel like I learned a lot of things. Like I made a shift this year as a hunter. Um, evolved in a bunch of different ways um, that I think we could talk about here. We've talked about a little bit in the past, but in a number of different things, I've kind of changed. Um, So I think this season kind of signified that move for me, which was interesting, and I learned a lot from it. And um, I can look back on a lot of things from this season, like totally different things, and see like, wow, that was like a really cool new thing I tried, and like that really changed me. And this was something that was a big challenge, and I learned something from it. And, and that changed. Um, and so it, it definitely was like a different kind of season for me. It wasn't one that like followed the script and I killed a bunch of big bucks and it was like, yippee. It was one that was like punctuated by these different highs and lows, but yeah. lots of new stuff that, um, that was really cool. So it was, it was a great hunting season. Um, but, uh, but just like you, it, it just kind of leaves me wanting more. Like I'm ready for the next year to just start right now. So what, what was uh, a couple of, you know, what were a couple of your highlights for 2016? So I think I'd say probably the highlights of my season were, were three things. Number one for sure was my trip to Montana. That right. was like one of my favorite hunting trips ever. Maybe my favorite hunting trip ever. Um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, I mean, just like being out there in that type of place was just like, it's just, it's unlike anywhere else I've ever deer hunted. Just being out in this huge, wide open, beautiful, um, landscape with so few people, um, and hunting public land. And like, it wasn't the kind of thing where, you know, I was hunting and then going, hanging out at home or hanging out at a hotel. You know, it was like a total experience from all, all day, every day for seven days or whatever it was that I was out there. I was either hunting or planning about hunting or sleeping in my truck or cooking food on a little backpacking stove on the tailgate. It was just an awesome experience all the way around. Um, So that was just a a huge highlight for sure. Um, I think another highlight was just this hunt for Holyfield. Um, Right. Excuse me. Just getting to see this buck as much. Um, Like This was one of those things that definitely stands out, and I don't want to – you know, belabor the point too much, but getting to learn and uh, observe a deer the way I did and hunt for a deer the way I did for Holyfield, um, this year was definitely unique and above and beyond anything I've ever experienced before. So um, that has been a highlight, just getting to see that deer so many times and, and everything else that went through it. Um, and then another highlight was getting to be there when my dad killed a buck uh, this year um, during gun season in Michigan. That was really cool to get to share that with him. Um, and, and that was super exciting. So I'd say those are my three highlights. Um, you know, I also killed a doe last night, which was great. I killed a buck in Ohio, which was great. Um, lots, lots of great moments, but I think those three, um, stand out above everything else, at least at first glance. What about you? Oh man. Um, well, the first thing that comes to mind is the actual kill I had this year. It felt good to get, you know, I, I've always been kind of picky in what I kill. I'm not going to settle as far as bucks are concerned. I'm not settling for anything really than what I kind of put my mind out to. So I've eaten tag soup quite a few, few times over the last 10 years. So it felt good to actually seal the deal, put the period at the end of the sentence, you know, the cherry on top and, um, come through with a kill and, 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 and do it kind of the way I always have tried to do it. And that's, recon with trail cameras, check the trail cameras, make sure that the deer are in there. And then 
use what I've learned over the years as a bow hunter to put together a game plan to move in in this area and hunt it without, you know, go into this buck's living space basically and uh, kill him without him noticing me or busting me. So um, I got to do that. And, uh, you know, that, that strategy that we have that we all try to, to, to put together to, you know, to accomplish our goals worked for me. So that was, that's kind of like the second thing, but you know, all of everything, everything coming together finally and working, uh, that was, that just, that made me happy. That chess game, you know, winning that chess game on a mature buck definitely made me happy. And like I said, the kill was just, uh, uh, the kill was just extra. Yeah. It's the, the whole chess match is awesome, but you got to win every once in a while too exactly. to feel, to feel okay about the fact that you're making progress on it. Right. Right. So other than that, I think 2016 was one of those seasons. And I'm sure a lot of guys go through that once you've been hunting, uh, like, I, and just to reiterate, man, it wasn't my best season most memorable it I mean it will be because I'm gonna have a mount on my wall to always say hey look man I, I shot this deer I didn't see I didn't get the opportunity to hunt the rut where I'm seeing you know tons of deer chasing and all that stuff it was for me it was an in and out type of season and uh, so I'm I'm just blessed that I got to do that I'm, I'm blessed that uh, I got to spend some additional time with, with my family that time of year and do some, uh, you know, different things outside while the weather was good. And, um, you know, blessed that my wife puts up with my crap, uh, and uh, allows me to do what I, what I love to do. And, uh, yeah, man, just happy that, happy that I have mature deer to hunt. Yeah, for sure. Do you, is there anything you wish you'd done differently? Well, looking back, looking back on it, maybe, but not being the person who regrets things, I've only had a very small handful of regrets in my life. Um, but you know, there's, there's the small little voice inside of me that wishes I would have maybe passed this buck and allowed myself more time in the timber during the, but I think that's the, the guy who likes to sit in the tree stand, right? That's his voice. The guy who is a nature lover, who just likes to be outside and who loves that grind. Right. But then there's the killer part of me who was like, Hey man, you got to shoot this buck. It's your goal. You said, you said four year old or older, you got to shoot this buck. And that's, that's what I did. And I was happy with that. Do I wish I could have hunted more? Yes, but, uh, there, there might be, talk to me about what I'm talking about now when we start talking about 2017, cause I got, I, there's, there's a transition there, but I don't want to go there yet. So let me, let me make sure I get this right. You asked me to talk to you about what you're talking about when we start talking about, <laughs> <laughs> right? Nailed it. There we yeah. go. <laughs> right now people are slowly, uh, clicking the X button on their uh, computers and going, God, this podcast, do I need to know math? <laughs> I think that happened way earlier than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like um, just being able to extend my hunting season, so to speak. 
Yeah. What about tactic wise? Now, not necessarily did you do anything, would you do anything differently, but did anything you see this year or that you tried and maybe it worked or didn't work? Um, did you learn anything? I stayed out, man. This year was one of the very first years where if I wanted to hunt, I, I had, I had locations where I didn't touch until it was time. Like some of my best stands, I didn't even hunt at all this year because I wasn't going to go in until the time was right. And, um, uh, so I didn't hunt those areas at all. And I, and I, you know, did that outside in, you know, set up the observation stands, move in. Um, I did that. I did that two times and I killed my buck this year. So I set up my observation stand, adjusted once and killed a buck. So that's, that's what I, that, that was this year. But I mean, I, if I wanted to go hunt a doe, I went to a different, completely different location. Yeah. So I stayed out of what I considered my, my hotspots for the, for the rut. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we talk about all the time. So it's cool to see that, uh, you were able to put that into play and it paid off. Yep. And you know, there's a chance that next year I hunt, I hunt less, even less than, um, cause it just, I'm finding, and you know, some of these guys who talk about, man, I don't even hit the woods until the, the fifth of November. That to me sounds absolutely crazy, but they're right They're I feel they are so right. Yeah. I mean, hunting smart over hunting hard. Right. Although the, right. the perfect scenario is to do both, to have enough places that you can yep. hunt hard. You can hunt other places where you won't impact the spots you want to hold off on. Um, right. that's, that's what, for me, one of my big things that I, I continue to learn and continue to be reminded of is the importance of just having more and more places because, you know, options, options. Yeah. Because just like you said, I put such a huge premium on keeping my best spots untouched until the right time, you know, timing. I mean, we talk about almost every episode, every guest we talk about in some different way, they are focusing on keeping pressure low until the time is right. I mean, that right there is like the biggest thing when it comes to hunting mature bucks, I think. Like if you get that into your head and all these, you know, there's obviously lots of other things that fall underneath that. But if you can figure out how to keep pressure low until the right time and then even have pressure low while you're actually there hunting on those right times, that that's a huge game changer. And um, that's right. I think you can take that one of two ways. You could take it, as you just said, where you just don't hunt very much which is okay if you're okay with you know, having a few hunts but being successful on those few hunts. But then if you're somebody who wants to just still be able to go out and hunt, um, you want to have places you can go on those subpar days. And, you know, I found even on, you know, this year I picked up permission on a new place and I went and hunted there on the weekends and the days when I didn't want to hunt in my best spots um, because right. the conditions weren't right. It was warm weather. Or the wind wasn't going to be good or whatever. All these different things didn't line up. So I was like, ah, well, I'll go there and uh, I'll still get to hunt. And lo and behold, even though the conditions weren't great, I was hunting some of these spots for the first time ever. And I had, I had, let me think about this. I had encounters with shooters three times in a row on subpar days that I wouldn't hunt my best spots because I didn't think the conditions were, weren't great. But I was like, I'm going to try somewhere brand new. And I snuck into some spots and just kind of did observation sits in this new property and you know, sometimes you do get lucky and 
that was one of the situations where you're not going to get lucky if you're not out there. So I'd like to, I'm, I play it really smart, conservative, and strategic on my best spots. But then I have the opportunity to get lucky on the subpar days in my, you know, spots C, D, E, F. Um, right. If you don't have those spots, you're not going to kill anything on the couch on those subpar days. Now, let's elaborate on that a little bit, if you don't mind. What you did there, and kind of what I did there as well, was you were aggressive on other areas, right? So what you've done is you've moved into some of these better, you know, some of these better locations on different farms, which you didn't really know if what you were going to see, what was there. I really didn't know what was hanging out in these areas. I just knew that my, my good stands were getting rest, right? So now what you've done is you've educated yourself that, Hey, maybe next year, this area could be my new a, B or C stand. You know what I mean? So you've, you've educated yourself on, I don't know, improving your odds of killing a mature buck. For sure. Yeah. And I think what what's kind of nice about those types of like um, extra properties, like, you know, I've got my properties that I'm depending on um, right. that I'm like, okay, this is where I'm probably going to get it done, where I have confidence in it and where I'm going to play all the cards just right. Um, and so I don't take high risks there because I know if I play it smart, I can succeed. But then having those extra properties where, the risk isn't as high because you don't, you're not really depending on it. Having those spots, not only is it nice because you can hunt more, but just like you said, it's a testing ground. It's where you can go out there and try new things or push it or get a little more aggressive. And you don't need to be worried about screwing up your whole hunting season because you can still, you've got your old dependables, but here's where you can push the line a little bit. And maybe you get lucky, maybe you don't, but you, you're definitely going to learn from that. Take those principles, those aggressive principles, and apply them to your A, B, and C stands. Yes. And then that's where that's when you become successful. Yeah, that that's a, that's a huge thing for me this year. Right. Was was just having more options to to push and to try new things and to get aggressive, but not be screwing up my good spots. That was a big thing for me this year. Um, whether that be when I was hunting public land, you know, early this year, that was totally new. And uh, because of the fact that it was a quick trip and public, I, I knew I was just going to have to push it. Try, you know, I tried to play it smart at first, observe, and then push. Um, and I did that, and that was awesome. I learned stuff from that. And then here in Michigan, I had my dependable couple properties that I wanted to play safe on. And then I had a couple of new spots where I was like, you know what? I'm going to try stuff. And I did. And I think because of that now, like you're saying, next year I'm going to go into the scenario with – some new dependable spots or some new ideas that I think, okay, I'm going to play it smart here because I think I can get it done based on what I learned. And so what right. that means is now, you know, I want, I want to keep on trying to find additional new places to just keep on building up that portfolio of spots that I can either depend on or try out new, or at least have places to hunt, um, whether that be private or public, but you know, without getting ahead of ourselves in 2017 too much, that's definitely another lesson learned for me is you can never have enough places to hunt. Right. And that, and then what you have here is over the years, you generate all these different properties where you have access to hunt, whether they're two acres or they're 200 acres. Now what you have is option, like we talked about is options and options, not about land, but about the quality of bucks that you're chasing too. So, you know, for, for two, three years, you're shooting a three-year-old then you say to yourself, man, okay, my goal is going to be a four-year-old. Well, you have the property you've put out the trail cameras or, or you've done your homework or however, however you do your preseason scouting to determine what, you know, what your goal is. 
then you can just leave other properties alone. And like me over the years, the properties that I thought were good, I don't even hunt other, there's properties that I have access to that I don't even, I don't even hunt anymore. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think this, this applies, uh, you know, also to public land, which right. was another big thing for me this year, you know, going on that trip to Montana and, and totally spending my time on public land out there was, was, was something I'd wanted to do going into this year. Like I was kind of inspired last spring to, to take more of an effort to hunt public land. And I had so much fun with that. And just the idea of it um, kind of like captivated me that that's something that moving forward I'm going to try to continue doing because it's it's a playground for trying new things and it's it's you know an inherently different challenge too um, and I think because of that you can have a, a level of satisfaction in that challenge and at least taking on that challenge you know that might be different than hunting a totally managed farm you know hunting my manicured managed you know only me hunting a property i might be disappointed if i don't shoot the four-year-old or whatever it might be but hunting public land you know just having an encounter with a three-year-old would be like oh that was awesome um so i think that was a big thing that i learned is just that public land is available and it's a lot of fun um so i plan on doing more of that um i don't know you know another thing this is totally unrelated um but another thing, well, <laughs> let me take a step back. Do you have anything more on that? Because I was about to like totally move on to something totally different that just popped in well, my head. Well, let's move on to something totally different because I think I've said all I needed to say. So I was just going to continue moving on to some of the other like lessons that I kind of picked up or was reminded of this year. Okay. And, and I talked about this a lot throughout the season. Like I mentioned that I was doing this a lot, but it was just like it was a change I made this year that made one of the biggest differences in my season compared to past. And that was my exit strategy out of tree stands. Okay. And I know that my situation was unique because not everybody has a wife who would be willing to pick them up. Right. But by having my wife drive my ATV out and pick me up from these evening sits made a night and day difference in the type of activity I have continued to see throughout the season. So I would just, I'm going to do everything I can to stay in the good graces of that woman so that she will do this for me in the future. And if you don't have a wife who might be able to do that, you know, pay a friend or buy a buddy some beer or save his life so he owes you. Find out some way, if you can, if you hunt a property that's conducive to this, find a way to get those places cleared out in the evening and get yourself picked up so you're not spooking deer on the way out. Because at least, now this isn't the case for all properties, because some properties you can sneak out through the timber where there's no deer at all and it's it's fine. I've got some spots I hunt like that too. But this Michigan property, to get out of that property, you have to go through food sources or near food sources. And so for years and years and years, I was spooking deer every single night when I came out. And I tried to change my exit route. I, tr- I cut a path through some tall grass that I thought might still you know save me, but I was still spooking deer. And you would you would just see it. You would see the activity decline every hunt, even though I did everything else right. And this year, with the ATV thing, I mean, we talked about it. I, I, I just do not think I would be seeing Holyfield as daylight active as he is over and over and over and over if he had seen me walking out. And then I know he would have if I was walking out some of these nights, um, yeah. or at least all these does would. And um, And that just hasn't been the case. I've been able to avoid that. I don't. I don't think I've spooked deer physically with my own, you know, me walking out or stepping out, climbing out of a tree stand more than maybe once this season. 
as I'm trying to think of this off the top of my head, compared to, you know, I'm sure many other times in the past. So that's something that, you know, we know it, we talk about it all the time, entry and exit's important, but this was like one of those eye-opening examples where I made a significant change and it made a significant difference in what I saw. And that was just like a big aha for me. And, you know, it's not possible for everybody to have that, but, man, it sure was worthwhile if, if you can try to finagle something like that. Right. Right. Hey, man, uh, this year I watched uh, a bedded two-year-old, two maybe a three-year-old, just not even move when a, uh, a guy started combining his corn. So and I, he was probably, oh, I'd say 100 yards off the cornfield. Uh, we were sitting at a triangle. Let's just put it, let's use a triangle as an example. One point was the combine guy, one or the combine. One point was me, and another point was the bedded buck, and they didn't, he didn't even move. It, it, he didn't even look like he was paying attention to it. So uh, that tells you right there that they're not, depend, depending on where you are in the, in the country, uh, they're not, they're not going to be spooked by that at all. Now in Kansas where my uncle hunts, any car, any truck, they're gone because so many people shoot out of their windows down in, <laughs> down in his area. But, um, but for me, I, I've noticed that, you know, what you're saying is, is true to, is yeah. true to case. Yeah, and 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 even in these cases, you are spooking the deer. You know, it's better to spook the deer in a vehicle than as a person because they're used to a vehicle. That's something like okay, that I don't want to be near it, but it's not going to scare the crap out of me. I'll come back out in 20 minutes. Versus a right. human being walking by, that's not supposed to be there. Um, right. so I think even getting spooked by a vehicle or an ATV is a better spook than seeing a human being out there. So right. it's a simple thing, but, um, that one made a big difference. But, uh, anything else this year, anything else on 2016 that you think we should talk about for your season or my season or anything? Well, you know how last year, uh, they logged that property and I was very disappointed with, you know, they were in there in October and then the rut sucked because all the deer were pushed out by the time they were done logging. Um, this year it recovered and I've noticed some serious, even in this one, this eight month period, really good growth hit that forest floor or sunlight hit that forest floor. Some of these weeds started growing up thick and nasty. So I just, I'm really excited for even next year where some of the area areas are even more thick and nasty. So, um, I can see where some of this, uh, this timber stand improvement, you know, letting some of these dropping some trees and letting some, some light get to the forest floor could improve, uh, improve your deer herd numbers. Oh, oh heck yeah. Improves the cover and improves right. food. Right. Um, man, that kind of stuff is, is great. And that actually kind of leads me to some of my thoughts for 2017. Yep. Um, cause there's a lot of stuff I've already been thinking about, like all the different changes I want to make, whether it be with my strategy or to properties. Um, because 2017 is going to be a big year, but you know what? Do you realize that we have just about finished up our third hunting season together as co-hosts on this podcast? I know, man. I was, I was thinking about that the other day. That's, it's, I don't know. I just, I love, I love talking about this. It, it doesn't even seem like we've been doing it this long because I just have, I have so much fun doing it. Yeah. We've, uh, 
We've told a lot of stories. We've talked. We've, uh, you know, I've got a lot of hunting buddies, but I think given this podcast, I don't think anybody has has. I don't think I've talked to anybody about my hunting <laughs> season more than you. <laughs> well, remember, we have thousands and thousands of listeners who listen to this podcast, so you're not just talking to me. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't think about that. Right. <laughs> but uh, you're the only one who talks back, at least. Uh, <laughs> At least nicely. <laughs> right, right. So 2017, man. You excited? A- actually, don't answer that, Dan. Let's take a second for our last break today to thank our partners at Maven Optics. And Maven is a small, high-end optics company that not only produces the best set of binoculars I've ever owned, but it's also a company that is a story that I just love. And one of Maven's co-founders, Brendan Weaver, chatted with me earlier this year about what it felt like to have this dream of creating and selling better binoculars and optics in a, in a just widely different way and actually see that dream come to fruition. That's, that's crazy. You know, it's, you know, having worked for a big corporation, it, 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 it's like it never feels personal, even though if you're, you know, you make something, you draw it up and that's, you know, that's what I do. The design work, you draw something up and then you, see it on the shelf there were always so many more you know opinions that went into it oh we can't use that color because such and such store doesn't like that color but when it's completely yours and you see it go from like you said that that conversation around the campfire to that first order you know it's it's uh it was pretty special the you know you hope the you hope a ton of sales follow, but it's like, Hey man, we sold one. It works. You know, it's high five. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily for us, it didn't just end it, you know, it's selling our first binocular, but yeah, it was pretty, you know, and we, we live in a tiny town in Wyoming. And so it's, it's pretty cool to, to compete against these, these big players in the optics world. And we're, you know, right now we're four guys. We just hired our first employee, in January, so it was just three of them working here in in Lander, and so that's a pretty pretty big deal here. It was it was it was special when that happened. That's awesome, and uh, I gotta say, if you're in the market for a new set of binos or a spotting scope, Maven is an option that you just got to check out. So if you're interested, you can fully customize and buy directly from Maven by visiting mavenbuilt.com. And with that. Let's get back to the show and Dan's thoughts on 2017. You have no idea. Like I'm excited on so many different levels. Um, I'm so excited for it that it's hard for me to, you know, okay. So check this out. You know, they say that the average guy thinks about sex like once every, (laughs) every like 15 seconds or whatever that, whatever that, that number is. Okay. Sure. So, now add deer hunting and hunting and plans for 2017 into that. Like, so all I'm doing about now, I feel like is thinking about sex and deer hunting. <laughs> like I'm not even thinking about anything else. <laughs> Don't forget to take a crap and eat some food every once in a while though too. Right, right, right. But you got the important stuff covered. So you're going to be exactly. okay this year. You're going to be exactly. all right. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm pumped too. I'm super right. pumped too. It's, uh, and you have, it's the decision you made to pass Holyfield and not to like go after him anymore is just, 
it's just a trail leading right into 2017. Oh, I know. And, uh, it's it's got me see, and I don't want to talk about this too much because I think we've talked about it so much, but um, but I felt so good just making that decision because yeah. of this excitement I knew I was gonna have for seventeen. And I think if I had shot Holyfield, it would have been great, but I would have entered this new year, you know, with not with hardly as much to be excited about. There's no other right. bucks on this property that I would be interested in hunting that I've seen. There's nothing I have history with left. Um, there wouldn't be this history that I've come to find is so, you know, interesting and, and fun to add mm-hmm. to a hunt. Um, and now, you know, now, I don't know, last night, this is, I'm being, I'm being overly paranoid here, but last night, like I told you, I saw him and, mm-hmm. um, it's it's bow season only for bucks right now, but there is a late doe season going on with firearms. So you could shoot a doe with a yeah. gun, but you can only shoot a buck with a bow. Well, last night I'm watching Holyfield a couple hundred yards away, and then eventually, I don't know, like 5 o'clock or something, he goes feeding off to into the timber, but heading towards the south, kind of towards a neighboring property. And maybe half hour later or something, I heard a huge old gunshot that had to be yeah. next door. Um, or very nearby, one of the neighboring properties. Somebody shot a deer over there, and I would like to think that um, you know they just shot a doe. But the fact that I'd seen Holyfield walk in that direction now, this is he still he would still have been you know hundreds of yards away from that property or farther away. So I know it's unlikely that someone's gonna illegally shoot this buck. It's it's unlikely he even made it over there. But it's still like I got concerned. But yeah. um. But assuming that didn't happen, he makes it through these next couple nights. He, you know, it happened. You know, yep. I've got three more days left of the season, and uh, you know, the fact that he made it this far, I think, it just was proof again to me myself, just that I made the right decision. And uh, man, I'm so pumped to get out there and look for sheds. Um, yeah. It's going to be like the shed hunting Super Bowl for me. There, there's never been a buck, I think, to this point that I would have wanted to find his sheds as much as this one. So super stoked about that. And then, you know, I'm already, I've already been thinking through all sorts of ideas about what I want to do differently, hunting him next year, you know, what I learned from this year. And what, what's been kind of cool about this deer is because I've had so many encounters, so many pictures, just the number of data points I have that I can kind right. of plug into this whole like formula of trying to figure out, like I have an immense amount of data. So I just love, you know, like you and I both, we love looking at all this stuff and thinking about, okay, what's the pattern here? What's the, right. why did he go here then? Why did he move this way then? I've got so many different pieces I can look at now that I, I can't tell you if I'll figure anything out, but I'll at least have fun trying to, <laughs> which, right. which I think is half of it or more than that half of it. So I know that I'm going to be, you know, just studying like my deer lab and my little notebook I have with every yep. single encounter I have with him, where he was, the wind direction. I'm going to start pulling in the moon phase and barometric pressure into that log. And, and then I have to just try to extrapolate some type of learning from this. And like, you know, I thought I'd learned some things about him from last year to this year. Um, and I made some changes. And still, you know, I, I had some close calls. I was definitely seeing him, but I never quite was able to close the deal. So now in 2017, I'm like, okay, now I want to tweak this. I'm going to pull back here. I'm going to push here. Um, I want to ch- I want to try to make some property improvements. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, one of the things on this property is that he doesn't seem to bet on the farm and hunt a lot. He seems to, there's one little spot that he bets occasionally, but it seems like he's betting on neighboring properties a little bit more. Um, I think the one reason why I was getting the potential to get shots, you know, the, the one chance I could have shot him with the muzzleloader the other day, and now in the late season a lot, has been because of the food sources I put in. So the food has been very, very, very important. So I want to make sure I, what can I do to improve those food sources even more and to change the times of year he's in there or improve the amount of time he's in there. Um, and I'm thinking, like, where can I improve cover? How can I get him to bet on my property more often? How can I get him to come over the property line a little bit further so he might be in range and feel more comfortable? So I'm thinking about how can I extend cover onto my side of the line, maybe push my food plots deeper into my property instead of closer to property borders. I don't know. There's a whole bunch of stuff like that that I'm starting to just, like, brainstorm about. That, you know, what can I – how can I just – slim the odds a little bit more in my favor. I'm I'm just going to kind of, in 2017, my goal on this property where he is, is to take everything I've been doing and just crank up the level of detail even more. So I'm going right. to go back to every one of my tree stands that I've hunted this year, and I'm going to add cover to all of them. I'm going yeah. to, sh if I need to shift four feet over, I'm going to do it this year. I'm going to, just because I, I there's, I've invested so much in this hunt, and I'm so excited to hopefully be able to hunt him in 2017. I don't want to leave any stone unturned, so I'm just going to I'm going to go into this, and this is all going to be spring. I'm going to have everything done by like April. My goal is this year. So, <laughs> I think he said that last year too. Well, <laughs> I did I did better last year, but this year I'm going to do really good. <laughs> okay, okay. This year's going to be much better. Um, but you're right. I, every year in the winter, we have these grand ideas. Right. But um, but I have to I have to follow through this year even more right. completely. Um, so I'm just I know I'm going to be going into next year. Assuming assuming I, I get pictures of here in the, in the next couple of days, he's still alive. Hopefully, it's going to be a new level of excitement that I don't think I've had on this specific place before, which um, which I'm really pumped about. So, right. so I don't know. Yeah. Uh, property adjustments. You know, the one other thing when it comes to that hunt, um, and, and I'm, I'm skipping ahead maybe in how I thought we were going to talk about all this stuff, but I'm kind of getting into some of the things I want to change for next year and some of like my New Year's resolutions. Um, yeah. And so one of my big resolutions is just to take, like I just said, I'm taking everything up a notch on this property. Um, but not only with, you know, tweaking stands and food plots and adding more cover and all that kind of stuff, but also with my timing. Um, and you know, I'm obsessive about my time and we talk about this all the time. I try to be really careful, but this year, you know, and we talked about this a touch, but I think, you know, I went in with the original goal of hunting him the first couple nights of the season and then staying out until like the beginning of the pre-rut. So staying out until late October. Right. But because of these cold fronts that were coming through and because of a one sighting and a couple trail camera pictures I got of him that indicated that he was moving in daylight a little bit. I kept hunting throughout October. So I hunted the first weekend and then I hunted the second weekend and then I hunted the third weekend. Um, and I kept doing it and telling myself, well, you're doing it because he was daylight active a couple hundred yards from here, or you, you saw him one night. And, um, and all that, you know, I think in most instances, usually is a good sign and reason to go hunt. But, on the other hand, I think to myself, if I had not, if I had just let it let it go, even though I got a picture of him on the 15th in daylight, even though I saw him in daylight on the 8th, way off in the distance, um, 
he wasn't moving a ton during daylight at that time of year. If I had waited until October 25th to hunt there again, I bet you he would have been much more likely to be within range when I finally did go in to hunt him on the 25th or the 30th or the 3rd, rather than what the situation was, which was when I went and hunted him on the 20th, you know, after I'd hunted him the 8th, 9th, and the 16th, and the 20th, and the 24th, and the 25th, and the 27th, and the 28th, and the 30th, and the 31st. I saw him some of those times, but he was always out of range. He was always back in the cover. And I think if I had been a little bit more careful and resisted the urge to hunt, I think maybe he would have been within range on my side of the line a couple of those times. Um, So this year I think I'm going to attack early like I planned, but then resist the temptation to go full bore until he, you know, who knows, things might change. But I'm going to try, and at least I'm going to be, going into the season thinking about the idea of laying off him completely again until he gets ruddy because when he got ruddy he was very vulnerable I think he was just Mm -hmm. vulnerable in the wrong places for me um and if I'd been a little bit careful I think he maybe would have been a little bit a little bit more within my reach and then secondly you know the other thing is that once he did get ruddy and once he was really active and I was seeing him every day there was a couple times there where I saw him move somewhere and I could have hunted it and I didn't move to hunt there because I thought the spot looked stupid. And I was like, that seems like a dumb place. I don't think I'll ever go there again. But if I had moved, I would have killed him the next day. And then I was like, well, eh. And I didn't move. And then he right. he scooted out there one more time. And so there was two times where I could have believed my eyes and made the adjustment, but I didn't. Um, so next year, I'm going to have a stand in this spot where I wish I would have. And then I'm also not going to be afraid to make, you know, and I think every year we talk about this and every year I get a little better. Like I was definitely more aggressive in different places this year in certain ways. Um, but I think there's, you know, it's, it's constantly figuring out where's the line. You, there's always that balance beam. You have to walk in between being conservative and being careful and not putting pressure unduly versus knowing when to take the jump. And I'm constantly getting better at that. But I think this year I, I know I can take one more step now. Right. Yeah, that's going to I feel I almost feel that same way. However, I think for for a guy like me and you who look at the data that you had and what I mean by data is trail camera pictures and sightings, I I don't think you really made a mistake on Holyfield to the point where I, I feel that you that because he was out of range that wasn't necessarily because you screwed it up. Fair enough. I mean, I, I always had a good reason to go hunt. I will say that like every night that I went in there, I could justify it to myself, which is why I kept doing it. Like I was okay. The second weekend, I'm only going to hunt now because there's a 15 degree temperature drop. And I saw him in daylight, you know, on camera three days ago and the bear Mm -hmm. match. So I was like, okay, I know I didn't want to do this. This wasn't the plan, but X, Y, and Z are really making me think you should. And so I went. Um, right. So, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, like, I, I thought I had a good reason to do it whenever I did, but, you know, it. I never did have him in range except for that one time. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, I mean, it could have been unlucky, and I did everything that I could have done right, and I just the, the opportunity just didn't present itself. Or, and I don't mean to. You know, it is what it is, but my property just is not, you know, it's it's a secondary property compared to where he's hanging out most of the time. Right. Um, so 
he I, if I could hunt this other property a couple of, well really another property and a half like holy smokes like I yeah. feel like this would have been game over but I'm kind of stuck hunting the edge and I'm making we'll start trespassing <laughs> <laughs> probably not the best idea but thanks right, for the tip I, yeah don't listen to me no I typically don't but <laughs> but uh, but yeah you know it's you know making the most of what I got. Um, but I definitely, I definitely have wrestled with what you just said. Like, am I, did I make a mistake? Did I not make a mistake? I don't know. But I I don't know when it's all said and done, I will have learned something from this. (laughs) Right. I can't quite put my finger on exactly what the lesson is. I'm trying to like kind of figure it out still, but, um, it's been an interesting experience. That's for sure. Well, I hope it all works out, man. Yeah, me too. What about you? What uh, that that's one of the things I'm going to 2017 wanting to do. There's a couple more things, but what uh, what do you got? Any Man, any big resolutions? Any big changes? I got I got a handful of things. Right. Um, the, this first one sh- sounds really cliche, but I mean, all the you know you see those guys on Instagram and they're they're lifting weights and they're you know like oh I'm a I'm an athletic hunter. I, I, I do CrossFit and I do all these things and, and it, it helps me hunt. Well, this sounds cliche, but I'm going on an elk hunt in Colorado this next year and I want to be in the best possible shape that I can be in. So that means I'm going to have to change my diet and I'm going to have to work out really hard this spring, this summer leading up into September. So that that's the first kind of new year's resolution. I know I trained hard. I, I thought I trained pretty hard going into my, our Idaho trip that one year and it still kicked my butt. Yeah. So it, granted, there's not a lot you can do when I live at 400 feet sea level and I'm trying to hunt in 9,000 feet, right? There's nothing you can, there's no way to really tr- simulate that or train that. But I felt that there was more things I could do for my cardio. There was more things I could do for the way that I trained my diet. I had a real shitty diet. So I'm going to really focus and train to basically train to hunt. Can I, that, that, that kind of scenario. So I like that. Can I, can I offer a piece of advice? Yes. And this was, uh, this is something I've always thought, but it was, um, it was reiterated by Steve Ranella and Remy Warren on the Meat Eater podcast a few weeks back. They were talking about this. They were answering listener questions on their podcast, Steve's podcast. And um, somebody had asked, you know, how do you go from being a Midwesterner to physically prepare for your first mountain hunt? And they were talking about the fact that you see all these people, like you just said, on Instagram who are lifting weights and trying to get ripped. And they're talking about how, you know, you know, whatever it is, you know, the people I'm talking about, they're just, mm-hmm. their necks are bigger than their neck goes out past their ears and all this kind of stuff. Right. Um, and they were talking about the fact that you don't need to do that. That's not the kind of thing that's really going to help you on an elk hunt or something. Right. Um, a lot of that stuff's way overkill. You're wasting your time on certain things and kind of your, the, uh, the Ooh, ah muscle groups and stuff that make you look good in the beach aren't really going to be what's going to matter in the mountains when you're hunting elk. And they mm-hmm. said the, the, the most important thing you can do, and these are guys that have hunted and done stuff out west a ton. 
and now myself, I've done a ton of backpacking and hiking out there, and I've hunted now four or five years out there. Um, I think the very most important thing you can do, and what they said too, was just put a pack on your back and walk a shit ton. Yeah. And just do that a lot leading up to it. Wear yep. your hiking boots, put a heavy pack on your back, and just walk. Whether it be on a treadmill, incline, or whether it be up and down the 20-foot hill behind your house, or whatever it is. Nothing can simulate that type of thing and prepare you for that type of thing than just actually doing it over and over. Doing a bunch of squats or leg lifts or whatever. That stuff will help, but just walk. Walk, wear pack, and and don't get too focused on making your pecs look good, Dan. Right. Well, (laughs) I was going more for the glutes, taking a lot of selfies of my glutes (laughs) and uh, my lower abs. I need my lower abs need some work, so... I uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> but it I, doesn't matter. But I, that's that's my goal. I just need to get in better shape, and you know, and yeah, you know, doing that is right. But I need to lose weight too, and because pounds are pounds, right? And pounds on my gut or pounds on my knees and 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 pounds on my legs that I don't necessarily need to be carrying, yep. you know, while I'm up in the mountains. So. I need to drop some LBs too. Yeah, man. I think so many people, you know, plan this whole hunt going out west or whatever it is, and they put so much money and time into everything. But if you don't physically prepare for it, you know, right. what in the world did you prepare with the money and the time and the gear and all that kind of stuff? Because, right. you know, as you saw, that's going to be a limiting factor for most people. Can you just right. hoof it up the next hill? Can you survive it? Right. It's not easy. Right. Nope. Other than that, man, like, so I got this little idea in my head and, uh, my goal, and this might be a 2017, 2018 type deal is to find and buy enough property to be, to get my second Iowa landowners tag. That's exciting. Yes. Would it be so? Sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, can you, can you adjust that just a little bit? What do you you, mean adjust it? Yeah. Adjust that goal just a little bit. So find and buy enough property so you can get a landowner's tag and have enough room for your friend Mark to hunt. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what, if I could, if I could, I would. The cool thing, (laughs) the cool thing is, is I'm, I'm literally right now over the past couple months, I've been kind of looking at different little parcels here and there that, or, or certain areas that I've hunted in the past that maybe just odd parcels where I could break it off, make sure that that parcel gets an easement, right. You know, through a, a part property and only buy like four acres, but they're the right four acres. You know what I mean? So, um, so if, I'd have if, permission on one acre. You'd have permission on the four acres, but you might be, we might be two trees apart. You know what I mean? I like talking to you. So. Yeah. Two, a buck comes by and two people shoot it at the same time. Hey, Dan, you see that buck over there? <laughs> That's exciting though, man. That's really exciting. Yeah. So, you know, and when I was talking about, hey, remind me to talk about what we were talking about later so we can talk about it. Oh, when we were talking about what you were going to talk about? Yeah, that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, like, leading into that, 
would be, you know, you know, chopping down some trees, getting it real thick and nasty and doing, you know, some timber stand improvement for those areas to just increase, turn that four acres into basically a sanctuary for, for deer and then just let it set until it's the time's right, you know? So that, that is kind of, it's nothing really too much to elaborate on. It's just financial planning on my part from, from here on out. And then the other thing that the, the last thing that I really want to focus on in 2017 is focus on being a killer, right? And I, I'm, I don't want to get drop crazy out of control nervous when a big buck comes, comes by. I don't want to get that buck fever. I want to get excited um, and I don't want to lose that whole, the, the quote unquote spiritual side that I feel I have, uh, to hunting, you know, the enjoying the nature and, and going after a big buck. But I think part of hunting is being a predator and being a killer, you know, does a mountain lion or a bobcat or an eagle get nervous when they go after their prey? No, they don't. They would not survive as as a species if they got nervous when they were attacking their food. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel that I need to get a little bit more of an animal instinct and just for, for, for that period of time when they're in shooting range to become a killer. Yeah, to be 100% focused and, yeah. you know, you know, it's like, hey, this, like, almost like my life depends on it. Yeah. That moment of truth, man, that, uh, yeah, it's no easy way to figure it out. It just, whether it's experience or practice or whatever, but yeah, yeah, I, I, I a hundred percent agree with you there. I think we can all continue to get better there. And then that's it for me, man. I'm, I'm going to do some tweaks to my gear this year, but I, you know, like I said, I, this year was satisfactory for me. I had a blast doing what I do and it never really stops. You know, the summer stuff, the, the, you know, setting up tree stands, the hunting, you know, I, I got shed hunting season, look forward to 2016 was an awesome year, you know, turkey hunting's coming up, uh, I'm, then that's going to transition into the summer stuff. And then I got an elk hunt. And then the next thing you know, man, I'm sitting in a tree stand in, uh, in Iowa again. So three years ago, yeah, you were filming all your hunts and you filmed your buddy, Ryan Iberg. Last year, I think you filmed a little bit, correct? Um, yeah, last year I filmed myself shoot a doe. Yeah, really. I think that, and uh, I filmed myself. You had some buck encounters. Encounter. I think you filmed, yeah, right? A couple buck encounters. Yep. Yeah. So this year, though, you didn't film anything. I what? didn't even. I didn't even bring a camera with me. Yeah. So let's talk about that. How did it feel this year for the first time in a long time, not filming your hunts? Were you glad you did it? Do you miss it? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't miss it. No, nope. man, it takes it for me. It takes away. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could have that, some of that stuff on film to share with my friends, but it's in my head. I'm, I don't hunt for anybody. I'm not a hunter because I need to be a hunter. I'm, I'm a, I'm a hunter because I subconsciously maybe need, but man, I, I do it for me. I'm not, 
I, the podcast, yeah, that's for other people. Um, the, I think for a while there when I was doing a lot of filming, it became less fun and more work. And I kind of was like uh, getting turned off by it. But now I've put that camera down now for two years and it's, it's awesome. Well, I, now, well, if someday I get a cameraman and, you know, start documenting my stories again, my, my season again, hell yeah, that's okay. But I'm never going to probably film myself again. Interesting. I can understand. I can understand why you feel that way. I certainly have had times where I've thought that too. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting to hear how you feel after, you know, I've always thought after beginning to film on my hunts and everything that it would be a major bummer not you know, now that I'm so used to having this stuff to look back on, like my favorite thing is just being able to look at the film again and see that encounter again or show my buddy this deer um, or whatever. I think that's what I would miss the most. And I've always wondered, you know, if I would miss that too much if I gave it up. Because there's certainly times when I just, what I dislike about it is having all the gear and just having to deal with that when you're out there instead of being able to just climb into a tree, sit down right. and relax and hunt. Um and be 100% focused on the shot when it comes instead of being focused on turning on the stupid camera, adjusting that, making sure the deer's in the frame, then get your bow, then all this other stuff. I mean, there's a lot of reasons not to film. Um, so it's interesting to hear your, you know, your experience there. So you mentioned you had one more thing you wanted to talk about for 2017? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I talked about the changes I want to make with the whole Holyfield hunt. I talked a little bit about the fact I want to have more places to hunt in general, um, you know, just having more options, all that. I think the one other thing in 2017 um, and something I want to continue to do more of in the future, and I, I kind of touched, touched on this a little bit in the past too, but public land. I want yeah. to hunt public land more, and in a bigger picture, I want to focus more of what I'm doing in my career um, yeah. around public land um yeah. because in addition to being a deer hunter as you know and many of our listeners know my other passion in life is just wilderness and being out in the mountains or the prairies or river valleys or whatever being out in these big wide open public places i mean i i live and die for that stuff and we've talked about there's increasingly more and more threats to these places and I'm kind of transitioning a little bit in um, in just like what my goals are personally. And so while I want to continue doing what I'm doing now, I also want to find more ways to try to lend a hand if I can to making sure that these places are there in the future for people like you and me to hunt or for our kids, um, whether it be to hunt or hike or fish or whatever it is. So I want to hunt in these types of places more often because it's a challenge. It's very different. It's new. And I, I'm the type that... I enjoy hunting some of the places over and over again. Like I have places I've hunted over and over and I enjoy that, but I also constantly need a new challenge. I love the figuring out part of things. So like in Ohio, for example, I like hunting our spot down in Ohio, but I figured it out. There's nothing to figure out anymore. Um, just because of how big it is, there's, it's not very big. So there's only a couple options really when it comes right down to it. Um, and I know if I hunt it during the rut, if you put in enough time in like one of two locations and if you do it in the right wind and stuff, either, either a buck's going to come through that and you're going to get a shot or it's just not going to happen because they're not there. Um, 
there's not a whole lot of figuring out left to do there. What I've enjoyed about the public land and hunting new places is the going into something from ground zero and, and trying to wrap your head around it and adjusting and scheming and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, public land's a lot of fun and it's really important. And I think, um, in 2017, I've got some stuff I'm working on that I think, uh, hopefully will be interesting and helpful on both of those fronts. So, so that's kind of what I'm looking forward to next year is doing some cool stuff to get Holyfield and exploring this whole public land thing in a lot of different ways. So that's awesome. where it's at. We got some work to do. We do. We do. But it's going to be good. It's going to be good to you, dude. I'm excited for you and for me. Ditto. Well, uh, this is our last <laughs> This is our last podcast of 2016. So Adios, 2016. It's been real. It's been real. It's been real good. And uh, thank you, Dan. For sticking around with me for another year and for everyone listening too i uh it's not always easy i don't think <laughs> yeah i tell you what man uh, we uh there's a lot of work first off to the listeners there's a lot of work that goes into this podcast so uh you know if for anything mark thank you very much for organizing it for putting it together you know for uh the opportunity to be your co-host and as a listener of the podcast i just want to say thank you for the content and uh Thanks to all the listeners out there who email us and ask us questions. Now, we may not always answer them, but thank you guys for the support because without, you know, I don't know if I'm stealing your thunder, but but because of you guys, Wired to Hunt podcast is possible. So whatever. I echo everything you said 100%, Dan. And uh, with that, I'd say let's shut this thing down for 2016. So big thank you to our partners who help keep this show on the air, who've been with us here in 2016. Thank you to Sitka Gear, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Yeti Coolers, Ozonics, Carbon Express, Maven Optics, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And finally, as Dan said, thank you all for listening today and all of this year. We appreciate you being a part of this community so, 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 so much. So until 2017, have a very happy new year and stay wired to hunt. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. Hey, if you guys like to cook outdoors and you ought to, you should check out the Weber Slate Rust-Resistant Griddle. So this is a carbon steel cooktop that's safe for metal tools. It's pre-seasoned with food-safe oils and ready to cook on right out of the box. It's the griddle that stays ready, not rusty. This griddle heats evenly edge to edge, reaching all the way up to 500 degrees. Get fired up for your new Weber Slate rust-resistant griddle.